And so as we open up this book of the law and see God's grace in it, I uh, want us to see how the good news of Jesus Christ is, even through the Old Testament, how Deuteronomy is leading us to our uh, ultimate joy in Christ. So if you are... Um, new here, we welcome you. We just started this series last week, and we will be here for about a year, it looks like, um, maybe a little longer. We're going to break it up, so no worries there. I'm about to encourage you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, and if you need Bibles, we have some in the back, and uh, the text will be up on the screen. Uh, and so let me pray as we uh, dive into this uh, passage this morning. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are indeed wonderful. Uh, God, that you have done amazing things for your people throughout generations. God, that you have shown your grace and mercy and loving kindness and patience and, and grace to undeserving people. God, that you rescue us from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death. God, that you redeem us from lawlessness. And God, that you uh, make us your children. Through Christ, And so, God, I, we celebrate that this morning as you've brought us here together. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir up our hearts and minds. God, that you would draw our attention and our affections to you, that we would see who you are, how wonderful you are. God, that we would see our desperate need for you. Uh, God, that in all things, uh, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high that your grace would stir us together as a community of believers, non-believers, seekers, doubters, skeptics. God, all who are here, Lord, that we would get a, a taste of your grace this morning. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that this would happen in the way that best honors you, that brings us ultimate joy in Christ, and that stewards and forwards the gospel of Jesus from this place out to the nations. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18 and read uh, for a little bit. So hang tight. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again by the way we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshel and spied it out. They took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way 
all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way you should seek out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered. And he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and he shall see it. And to him and to his children I will give the land on which he is trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go into there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who said they would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. And then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up and fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do. And beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. This is God's word. Friends in Christ, we are rescued from fear and rebellion and restored to a victorious faith. Have you ever heard the phrase, if something is too good to be true, it probably is? Have you heard that phrase before? Have you ever heard some sort of good news and just thought to yourself, well, it's just too good to be true, I'm not even going to think about it or do that or pursue that? Like maybe you have a dream or a hope in your life and saying, I really want to pursue this, but this has never happened to me, so I'm just not even going to go that way. Or, or maybe I, I have this opportunity to go to school, but I've never been good at school, so I just shouldn't even do it. Hey, there's that job opportunity, but I'm just, I've never been good at that kind of work, so I'm just not even going to look into it. Or, or maybe here's a relationship that I should pursue, but I'm just too scared that it'll fail, so I don't do it. Have you ever heard news that you thought so good to be true that it just paralyzed you to even act on it? It's very common for us to do that. Often we hear something good, but our doubts and fears and distrust trump the good news that we've just heard. Today we've seen in this uh, lengthy passage of Deuteronomy that we see that God's people have just experienced something miraculous. God has freed people who had been enslaved for generations. He has set them free miraculously by signs and wonders, Exodus tells us, and has set them free and promised to give them a land where they could go settle and, and have joy and be fruitful as a nation of people. Even though they've experienced that good news, even though they've heard the promise of God and his faithfulness, they still have doubts and fears. And these doubts and fears lead them into rebellion. 
not only rebellious actions, but actually a rebellious heart that has become embittered and distrustful toward God. The consequences of this are dire. It, it, it wipes out a whole generation because of their doubts and fears and distrust, except for a couple people. Moses himself, as a representative of this generation, doesn't get to enter the promised land because of the doubts, fears, distrust, and rebellion of God's people. And there's some great implications for you and I today because we've seen, uh, as we've already seen in the first few verses of the book of Deuteronomy, that God is faithful to deliver on his promises. God always makes good on his promise. He's a gracious, loving God who is chasing his wayward people. That's the theme of Scripture. And God always makes good on his promises, even though his people rebel. But you and I today, just like the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, doubt and fear and ultimately rebel and distrust our God. And so today what I want us to do is see what happens in this text, what God does on behalf of his people despite their rebellion, and how that applies to you and I today, because there's great implications here. And I want to challenge you as we look at Scripture to hear God's faithfulness. Bring your doubts. Bring your fears. Let's be honest about doubts. Let's be honest about fears. I don't want any of us in this room to say, well, I I never doubt the Lord. I have no fears. No, let's be honest. Just in your heart and in your mind, be honest about your doubts. Be honest about your fears, about your cynicism, your skepticism. Let's, Let's lay it before the Lord and see what he does, okay? Because I want us to doubt our doubts. I want us to rebel against our rebellion. I want us to cling to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and I want us to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's faithful promises to his wayward people, okay? So let's look at this this morning and and see what uh, what God has for us, all right? So first, I want us to see that fear and doubt are symptoms of distrust, Fear and doubt are symptoms of distrust, okay? You see that God has just done amazing things for his people. He has led them as he is leading them to freedom. He is commanding them along the way. Now, bear in mind, God does not say, do these things, and then I will set you free. No, he sets them free and says, because I have shown you my grace, because I have loved you, because I have freed you, I'm going to command you in how you ought to live. And so the commandments come after God's freedom of, for his people. We must always know that. Is that freedom is given by God's grace, and then the commands of how we are to live follow that. But you see, God's people doubted his goodness to them. All right. Verses 19 and 20 tell us they have, they have come out, they have come toward the land that God had for them. And verses 20 and 21 say this, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Verse 22 says, Then all of you came near me and said, "Uh, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again the way which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. And Moses said, The thing seemed good to me. Now, we can't gloss over that. There's more to it than just the story of what's going on. You see, what's happening there is God has promised to give them land. And Scripture even says, see, the Lord your God has set the land before you. It's there. God has given you that land. All you have to do is go up and and go take possession of it. They hesitate. They doubt 
the land that God has given them. They, they, they fear what's before them. Right, the words in verse 19 say this. It says, we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness you saw. That word terrifying is, is the word that's also in Hebrew translated fear. It can mean reverence or awe or worship. You may have heard the phrase, you know, you're to fear the Lord. That's an important word there. Because as God's people are journeying to where he is leading them, they are terrified by their surroundings. That means they are in awe of their surroundings. That means they look at their circumstances and they have a heart that fears the power of that circumstance more than the power of the God that is leading them. They are doubting that God is greater than their circumstance. They are doubting that God is greater than their surroundings. They are in awe of what... So, so the fear there, they're terrifying, is not just like they're, they're startled. It means that their hearts are almost posed to worship their surroundings. And that's an important point to see, is that fear is a sign that we trust something out of our own judgment. Right? I mean... Have you ever been afraid of something, not just like, oh, that haunted house, it scared me, but like just totally afraid of maybe it's heights, maybe it's the ocean. I know people that are just terrified. You'll never see them go on a bridge. I, I, I knew a lady that was, was so afraid of water that she just she could not even drive over a bridge. And why that is, is because she thought the water, she, she was exercising judgment in her own mind that that bridge would fail her, that that water would take her over. For me, it's snakes. I'm absolutely terrified of snakes. Don't you ever play a joke on me with a rubber snake, lest you take me to the hospital afterwards. I hate snakes. I'm absolutely terrified of them. Even the little ones, oh, it's cute. And there's nothing cute about a snake. It's in the Bible. They are wicked, evil things. <laughs> I don't know how they made it on the ark. Must have been those stone people that, never mind, that's a different tangent. Weird movie. But fear is a sign that we are trusting something in our own judgment, right? And so that's what happens to God's people as they are leading. They say, look, we know God has done this amazing thing for us. We know that God has said he is going to deliver this land as a promise. He's going to fulfill his promise to his people. Moses says, hey, look, there's the land before you that God has said he's going to give. Just go take possession of it. But as they pause, they look around and say, you know what? We think in our minds that this terrifying surrounding is greater than our God. So we are afraid to obey. We are doubting that God can do what he said he can do. We are doubting that God is going to do this, right? And so there is doubt. They send spies. That's a sign of doubt. They didn't have to do that. It sounds sensible. Sometimes faith is not sensible, and sometimes sensibility is not faith. It's, you know, being logical is sometimes just a modernistic, philosophical way of thinking. It's not always faith, so don't paint it like it is. I mean, we could look at it and say, well, I mean, there's nothing, is there anything wrong with sending spies just to check it out? Yes. Yes, there is. Why? Because it was a sign that they were doubting the Lord, that they were afraid of their surroundings, thinking that their surroundings were greater than their God who had just freed them. And they started to distrust the Lord. They said, you know, we can't, we can't trust God to make good on his promises. We know he's freed us from the Egyptians. We know that he has uh, provided for us every step of this journey. We know that he has, throughout generations, made good on his promises. But we don't know if we can trust him right now. We need to send a couple of our guys, the guys we do trust, to go scope out the land for us. 
doubt and fear can lead to distrust. And actually, fear and doubt are symptoms of distrust. Verse 32 says, Verse 32 says, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place, which to pitch your tents, fire by night, cloud by day, to show you by the way you ought to go. You did not believe. See, in Scripture, the word believe can often mean faith or trust. Faith is ongoing relational trust in your God. It's not a conceptual agreement to ideas. It is an ongoing relational trust. So God's people doubted, they feared, and it's all a sign because they did not believe God. They distrusted God. So I want to ask you right now, what does disbelief and doubt and distrust mean? look like in your life? I mean, in what ways do you distrust the Lord? In what ways are you doubting God's power? In what ways are you fearing your surroundings and circumstances more than you are fearing the Lord who cares for you? Let's be honest. Here's a couple ways that I've struggled in my life, and maybe they will resonate with you. How about provision? Have you ever feared your circumstances were so dire that the Lord was not going to take care of you? Have you ever doubted that the Lord was going to provide for your needs? Have you ever distrusted God's desire to bless you and to care for you like a father does a child? Maybe you said, I'm doubting, I'm struggling that, that God would even provide for me. I'm just going to pick myself up by my bootstraps and do it myself. I've been there. I said, you know what? Forget it. I'll just go work hard over here or do this and do that. And I've tried a couple times years ago to walk away from my calling in pastoral ministry to go pursue making money because I don't make a lot of money here. I'll go work over here and make money. And it's never, ever worked out. I tried to teach elementary school, public school. That's how desperate I was to make money. The big money. (laughs) Music teacher on the south side. Watch out. How about this? Companionship. Maybe you are uh, single, and maybe you're saying, I I want so badly to have a mate. I want to pursue companionship with a godly person. And what happens is when we start to doubt and fear and distrust, we start to lower our standards, right? We say, well, maybe I'm just setting my standards too high. Maybe, maybe the person doesn't have to be like a born-again Christian. They can just believe in God. That'll work, right? Well, they believe in God. So does Satan. FYI, Satan believes in God. So we tend to compromise. Okay, what about this? Maybe, maybe here's, a, here's a good religious one for us. Maybe sanctification, right? The, it's pursuing holiness, growing in holiness. Maybe we doubt that the Holy Spirit is growing other people around us in holiness, so we try to mandate religious expectations. Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me? Somebody doubted that the Holy Spirit would dare sanctify this nut. And so they said, well, here's some axioms you must go by. I'm like, where is that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Holla. How about this? Love. Have you ever doubted or feared that God doesn't love you? Have you ever feared that? Have you ever thought, man, I've done such a wicked thing, God could never love me. Why would God love me? 
What's lovable about me? I bring nothing to the table. Why would God love me? Have you ever doubted that God loves you? Do you have the fears that God maybe doesn't love you? It's okay. What about forgiveness? Do you ever doubt that God actually forgives you? That in Christ you were forgiven from your sin, from your wrongdoing. You were forgiven from your fear and pride. You're forgiven of your doubts and distrust. In Christ you you were made new. All of that old stuff is just pushed to the side because of the work of Jesus. Do you doubt that? Do you fear that? Friends, I submit to you that we must always look, as we look in Scripture, we must always see how it points us to Jesus, how Scripture shows us God's grace to undeserving people, how God shows faithfulness to unfaithful people. And that is such good news. The good news is that because in Christ you are a child of God, He will provide for you. It may look different than you expect, but He will take care of you. That, that, that in Christ, he, uh, he will give you companionship that you need, even though the timeline may look a little different. Maybe, maybe you had hoped to be dating somebody, but for this season you're still single, but He's going to give you other friendships and companionships to, to carry you along. And in God's time, He will give you a companion, a mate. If you pray, and that's the desire of your heart, He'll either provide for you or, or change your heart or change your circumstances. It's up to the Lord. I don't know. How about this? If you... As an as a adopted son or daughter through Christ, He will sanctify you. He will make you holy. Your timeline and growth and holiness may look a little different than somebody else's. You and your, your buddy may both become Christians at the same summer camp, and that guy goes on to like get married and start a church and, and write books and just so holy. And you're like, man, I'm still struggling with this sin and that doubt and that fear, and I'm still just rough in it. That's okay. Your progress to holiness is a little bit different. Praise the Lord. It's His work in you, not your own work, not anybody else's work. And if anybody tells you different, hit them in the face with grace. (laughs) And tell them that, look, man, the Holy Spirit's at work in me. I don't know why He's doing it the way He's doing it, but I just trust that He's doing it. And it's okay. It's okay. In Christ, you were made a new creation, and God loves you like He loves His Son, Jesus. And that's good news. In Christ, you were forgiven of your sin, doubts, and fears, your pride, whatever it is. And that is good news. So I want you to know that. Then fear and doubt are symptoms of distrust. And let's just, let's just lay that fear, doubt, and distrust at the feet of Jesus today. Okay? I want us to also see this. Is that the distrust is not always just a relational thing. We think, well, I just don't trust that guy. It's relational, but it's also very, very practical. Distrust always leads to rebellion. You can never have distrust with a person and things always be okay. Maybe there's a coworker you have or a family member or somebody in your neighborhood. You're just like, I don't know what it is. That dude rubs me the wrong way. I don't trust him. Things will never be just awesome with that person because distrust always leads to some sort of I've got to just distance myself from that person. And that's what happens in Scripture here. We see that God's people doubted, they feared, they distrusted their God, and that distrust led to rebellion. Look what happened in verse 27, or 26. You would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. 
Distrust leads to rebellion. You see, the thing about rebellion is it's not just an action you do. It's a change of heart. You see, rebellion here, um, it is distrust in God's wisdom, his character. Uh, You say, they attack God's character. Do you see that? They don't just say, we don't know if we can trust the Lord. They say, look, God hates us. God hates us. He, he, He hated us. He's brought us out of Egypt to give us over to our enemies so that we would be destroyed. That is not just doubting. That is utter character assassination against the God of the universe, saying he, he hates me. You see, they distrust the Lord because of their doubts and fears, and their rebellion. It's a powerful word, rebel. Because often we think like sin is like, oops, I slipped. You know, oh, I, I fell into porn again, or I drank a little too much, or whatever. We think sin is just an accidental thing. Rebellion is willing disobedience. It is willful action. There is no oops in rebellion. It is, I am determined to not go that way. I'm determined to do this thing instead. There is no slipping on rebellion. It is proud marching that opposite direction. In fact, look what happens here. Uh, In the story, they're like, you would not go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You murmured that the Lord has hated us, that he's out to destroy us. If you look down to verse 41 and 43, it says this. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. Verse 43, I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Presumptuously is a great word. It means arrogantly. It means we don't trust God to do what he said he would do. We don't trust him to do it in his time or in his way. So we're going to do it in our time, in our way, because we are bad A's like that. And they get up and they just march up the hill with a little armor just saying we're going to do it the way we want to do it. They are arrogant rebels. There is no accidental slipping, or you could, if you would have been there, you would have understood that he just. No, 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 no. They looked God in the eye and said, "God, we don't trust you. We think you hate you hate us, and you were out for our harm, not our good. We're not going to do it in your way and in your time. We got all the armor we need. Let's fasten up our belts and let's just have a happy parade up the hill to our own destruction." And that's what happens. They get defeated. A whole generation is not permitted to go to the promised land, except for a couple dudes. The kids, they get off easy. Praise the Lord for his grace. Distrust always leads to rebellion. And that rebellion looks like it's action, but is a heart attitude against God. In fact, uh, it's great because it says, uh, you know, the the sin here is willful acts of rebellion. It is done arrogantly and presumptuous. Actually, the Hebrew word for rebel is the same root word for bitter. Hmm? They weren't just rebelling in action. There was bitterness eroding their souls. They were bitter against God. They they, They said, we just don't trust him. We're tired of waiting. We're tired of doing what he says in the time and in the way he wants us to do it. And here's the thing. Here's what's so sneaky about it, because we we can sometimes just sidestep the issue. And we can say, you know, did they go into the country? Yeah. So what's the big deal? 
The big deal is they did it in their own strength, in their own way, in their own time. You know, a pastor once told me the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And I would agree and say, actually, the the right thing in the wrong way is the wrong thing. I mean, God very clearly said, look, I want to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. I promised your forefathers this. I'm going to promise it to you and your children will be blessed. I want to just take you there. All you do is just walk over there and do it. And they said, we don't trust your character. We are becoming bitter against you and each other. And we are just going to do this thing our way because we think we are smarter, wiser, and stronger than the God of the universe. I had dire consequences for them. So I want to ask you guys this. As you've looked at your fears and doubts and distrust of the Lord, what does rebellion look like in your life? And before you say, I have none, you have some. If you're thinking you have none, you have some, because we all do. It can look different for all of us. Because sin, active rebellion, can be sometimes we categorize and say it could be sins of omission or commission. It can be things that we don't do that we're supposed to do. So, you know, Jesus says, hey, love your neighbor. I don't want to love my neighbor. God forgave me for that, right? I'm cool. Not doing what God commands you, omitting that command, is rebellion. Doing something actively against God's command is rebellion to committing a sin, like going up and just decking somebody in the face for no reason. That's sin. Right? Having a bitter heart against the Lord, having a bitter heart against a fellow brother or sister in Christ, having a bitter heart against a lost person, a non-Christian, your neighbor, somebody you work with, somebody you live with, somebody you go to school with. Those are all sins, all rebellion against the Lord because it's saying, I know better than the Lord in this relationship. I know better in the Lord than the Lord in my job or in my school or in my neighborhood or in my family. And rebellion always is a bitter attitude of the heart that plays itself out in action. Here's one for many of us. We live in a very churched culture. I'm so thankful for the solid Bible-believing churches in this town, but let me tell you this. It's easy for us as Christians to just get our free pass of grace and say, I'm not going to do what the Lord commands because I'm saved by grace, man. Or I can cheat a little here. You know, like if you work out or you're on a diet, you have a cheat day. So I don't have a cheat day with the Lord because he'll forgive me, right? It's rebellion. It's bitterness eating away at your heart. It's really easy for us to... I bring up, the, I bring up sanctification a lot. It's one of my favorite things to study because it's such a mystery how the Holy Spirit grows us in holiness to be like Christ. It just is amazing to me. But I think one of the, the biggest uh, religious... It's very beautifully packaged, by the way. One of the most beautiful religious sins or acts of rebellion is trying to programatize sanctification. Now, I'm not saying programs are bad. I think they're great. I think catechisms can be helpful. I think Bible studies and structure is very, very good. I love it. It helps me. It helps my family. But I think also if we try to mandate our methods rather than leave room for the Spirit to work, we can get in trouble a little bit. And I think it's tantamount to saying uh, we don't need to have room for the Lord. Let's put on our armor. We got this. Is that anybody else in that boat? Or is it just me? Maybe it's me. It's probably just me. It's fine. Just sharing with you how I'm growing and learning. Because it's very easy for me to think, to say, look, if we just do the Bible study this way and program, you know, program the service this way and have our studies and our things look like this, then everybody will grow in holiness. And it's really easy to be just a dude putting on armor, marching up a hill against the will of the Lord. And so you could pray that for me. 
I mean, you can pray that for the leaders of this church. We never want to mandate our methods. Rather, we want to uh, create a playground for you to go play on while the Holy Spirit pushes the swing, man. That's where we're at. Aside, moving on. So what does distrust, rebellion look like in your life? You want to look at your doubts, your fears. What does distrust and rebellion look like in your life? What is the condition of your heart? Are you humbly and passionately in love with the Lord who has saved you? Or are you distrusting and becoming bitter because he's not delivered on the promises that you thought he had for you in the time he had for you? Are you tempted to strap on your armor and go marching on your own? Because I'm there from time to time, being honest. So the bad news is apart from God's intervention, we are utterly hopeless. Look what happens to God's people. It says, so they rebel, uh, verse 41, we have sinned against the Lord. So this is what's so funny about the story to me, is they, they admit their first sin. Like, we sinned against the Lord. Let's go fix it. <laughs> and then they try to fix it in their own way, which is just more ridiculous sinning, right? And so we've messed up. We've sinned against the Lord. Uh, let's go up and fight ourselves, just like the Lord commanded us before. Let's make up for it now. They strap on their armor. They go up there. Moses is like, please don't do it. God is not going to fight in that circumstance for you. If you were rebelling against the Lord, you cannot ask the Lord to bless your rebellion. You just can't. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the political whatever says. I don't care how nice it looks. If you were rebelling against the Lord, you cannot ask him to bless your rebellion. You just can't. If he chooses to bless you, that's his business. But you cannot say, I'm doing this. You told me not to, but I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. Bless me. Give me some blessing. You cannot demand that of the Lord. You just can't. It's very popular, too, in this culture now, too, because you're a bigot if you don't think you can do that. I'm just saying. Let's get back to the text. It's safer for us to be in the Bible because I'm a broken vessel. So let's just get back into the text. We'll be safer here. Verse 45 and 46 says this. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. What a bummer, huh? What a downer. What, what a way to end a story. So people are saying, look, God has given us that land. They march in. They say, we don't trust God. All right, let's do it. Uh, let's not. Let's do it in our own way. And just back and forth and back and forth. And then at the end of the day, they recognize their brokenness. They come back, they return, it's a biblical word, repent, before the Lord. They were weeping, saying, we messed up, we blew it. And the most terrifying words in this whole passage to me is, the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained there many, many days. And that scares me. It scares me to think that God would be silent on his people now, we can get into the conundrum of were they saved? Did they go to heaven when they die? Yes, I think God took care of them eternally. I think for this season they had some really bad times because of the consequences of their sin and rebellion. But I think in the end, I think Moses is in heaven. And you can see in the Gospels that he comes down with Jesus, so I think we're good on that, okay? So don't fear that these guys are all like sent to hell forever. I think God, God teaches us something with what he does with his people here. Now here's the good news. 
There's the bad news and the good news. The bad news is this. When we do things, when we distrust, doubt, and fear the Lord, and and we rebel actively against Him with bitter hearts, we can't expect Him to bless us. We can't expect Him to answer our prayers. We should not expect Him to. And we see that that's what happens here is they return to the Lord weeping, saying, We blew it, we messed up, we sinned, we rebelled, and God was silent. But the good news is that in Christ we have true repentance. Okay, because the, the word return here says you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice. The word return means repent. That means to, to turn from one direction and go back to another direction. So they, to, we can turn back to the Lord in Christ. We have true repentance. We have true returning. And in Christ, God listens. God hears. Jesus is, is called in the New Testament, even in Hebrews, he's like a mediator. He sits down next to God the Father, making intercession for his people. And so when we pray to the Lord, we know that God hears our prayers, not because of our goodness and not because of our rebellion, but because in Christ we have a mediator of a new covenant. And that is good news for us. And we see here that it's just God being faithful. God is never not faithful to his people in this text. He does not break his promise in this text, but rather is leading us, pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to somebody who's the true mediator, the one who makes it possible for God, for us to even have an audience with the Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. You see that God has made good on his promises throughout it because verse 30 even says, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Friends, we have a God that fights for us. He is fighting for you. He wants you to win. He is wanting you to follow him into victory. He is wanting you to not rebel, but obey. He's wanting that for you, and he's fighting that you will do that to the point that he sent Jesus as his chief soldier and son to come in to do that victory on your behalf. Because he knows as cute and as silly as it is, us with our little armor marching up the hill in rebellion, we're going to get just decimated. But in Christ, we have victory, and that is good news. The phrase, God fights for us, appears 12 times in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, including Isaiah 42, which is a passage talking about the Lord's servant, which leads us to Jesus who fights for us. And so what I want us to know in conclusion is this, is that Christ defeats our fears and doubts and leads us to faith and victorious living. You see, Jesus displays God's faithfulness. He embodies perfect human faith. He fights against Satan's sin and death on our behalf. And that's good news. You see, Christ Jesus defeats our fears and doubts, giving us faith. Faith is trust. So if you have fears and doubts that are symptoms of distrust, Jesus comes in and says, let me squash your fears. Let me squash your doubts. Let me give you trust, faith in this God who is rescuing you. That's what 1 John 5, 4 says. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith, the trust that Jesus gives us in God, restoring us from fear, doubt, brokenness, rebellion, distrust. Right, verse 45, when we see that they try to repent and God does not listen, true repentance is through Jesus Christ. As Mark 1.15, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That means return and trust. Repent is returning. Same word as in Deuteronomy. And 
believe is the faith trust word, right? So, so Jesus comes in the world and says, don't doubt, don't fear, and, and just return and trust the Lord. And that was Jesus's words in Mark 1, Acts 2, 28, as Peter is preaching. He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 in Christ that we have victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, I want us to be honest about our doubts, fears, distrust. Be honest about our rebellions. Be honest about the condition of our bitter hearts. I don't want to tell you to do better and try harder. I'm not going to hand out little armor and tell you to go march up a hill. I'm going to say, lay it all out before the Lord and repent and believe the gospel. To return and trust the Lord who is fighting for you, who has given you victory, that we may walk in it. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you that you are a good and loving God, that you are a good and loving Father. As your scripture says, the Lord carries you as a man carries his son. God, what a beautiful picture. As we, like children, are trying to run in our own strength only to fall and scrape our knees time and time again, but you as a loving, gracious Father, stoop down, pick us up in your arms and carry us. God, I thank you that you are a gracious God, that you are uh, kind to undeserving people, that you are faithful to the unfaithful, that you are loving to the unlovable, that you forgive us of our sin and rebellion. And through Christ, by your Holy Spirit, transform our hearts and minds to be more like Jesus. So God, I pray that as we think about the condition of our hearts, the conditions of our lives, that you would uh, stir us up to repent and believe, that we would return to you in confident trust that you deliver on the promises you make to your people. God, I pray for those who are not believers, Lord, that you would quicken their hearts to believe in faith, that you would save people for your glory and their joy. God, for those of us who are believers for a long time and maybe we are in a dark season of rebellion or stumbling through our clumsy faith or, or God, maybe we are in a good season and we're tempted to be prideful because we're in a good season in faith. Lord, I pray that you would keep us all humbly clinging to you. God, that we would encourage one another and pray for one another and love one another and serve one another. That we would all, as the body of Christ, grow closer to the head, which is Jesus. God, I thank you that you are good and loving. In Christ's name, amen.